You are listening to The Airing Cupboard, the podcast where the extraordinary stories of ordinary people get an airing. Phew, that's a mouthful. Hello and welcome back into The Airing Cupboard. I hope that you've all had a good few weeks. Now, I know it's been quite a long time since I've taken you inside this cupboard. And I am sorry, mea culpa, life and work had the better of me. So please forgive my erratic publishing schedule. Bear with me or subscribe to the podcast or follow it so that the episodes just slip into your library. And actually, if you turn your notifications on, you will even be pinged when one drops. Here in England, spring has sprung. The days are longer, the clock has changed, the mornings especially are beautiful, with the mad chorus of bird songs. And although the bottom of the air is still quite cool, every day nature is a little greener, and with it, it promises of warmer days to come. So our story today comes from Annabelle. Now I don't know Annabelle, I've met her through social media, and we've exchanged messages, and one day, quite a few months ago already, and I'm sorry, Annabelle, we spent some time together via an online call, and she told me her story. I am Annabelle, and I was born in London, in England, which is also the city I've spent most of my life in and currently live in. I studied architecture and have worked as an architect in London and also in Berlin for a short while. Once upon a time, in a great kingdom, far, far away, lived a king and a queen. They had all they wanted, but really, they dreamt of having a child. And after many years of patience, at last, they welcomed to their world a fair little princess. For the christening of the child, the king and the queen invited all the fairies of the kingdom to be godmothers. All but one. One of the fairies was old and had been locked in a tower for years and the king and queen had simply forgotten to invite her. On the day of her christening, as the baby girl laid in her cot, the seven fairies approached, waving their magic hands over the little head of the baby. Six of the seven fairies gifted the infant with beauty, wit, grace, dance, song and goodness. As the seventh fairy was about to grant the child with her own wish, the doors of the palace swung open, and the old, uninvited fairy marched into the room. Furious and hurt for having been sidelined, she approached the baby and pointed her finger and cursed her. The princess would indeed grow in grace and beauty, but on her sixteenth birthday, she would prick her finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel and die. But that, my friends, was without counting on the seventh fairy who had not yet given her gift and made her wish. Of course you all know this story, this fairy tale. It's Sleeping Beauty. And what has it got to do with Annabelle's story, I hear you wonder? Well, quite a bit, actually. Annabelle was born under a lucky star. She grew up in central London in an affluent family with caring and supportive parents and a loving sister. Annabelle is beautiful, witty, graceful, 
And I don't know if she sings or dances, but if yoga can be seen as a dance, then she certainly does so beautifully. And actually, she is full of goodness. She was educated in excellent schools in London, where she did amazingly well. She went on to study architecture, and by the time she was in her mid-twenties, she was already successful in a career. But she was like any princess of all fairy tales. She was desperately longing for a prince charming. As successful as she was in her life, she felt she was failing badly at love. She was desperate to have someone to be with, spend some time with, do things with, or simply do nothing with. By the time she was 31, she was working flat out for a top architecture practice in central London, hugely ambitious and driven. She had bought herself a flat in town. She was flying out to places for weekends away, parties with friends, working hard and playing hard. Life was an oyster. But still, no Prince Charming had come to sweep her off her feet. And at that time, her biggest concern was the fact that she was single. That was until one Saturday night, when in the early hours of the morning, the doors of her palace swung open and the wicked godmother came to deliver her a blow and her life changed dramatically. She had gone to a party with a friend in town. Now, they didn't really know the people who were having the party, but her friend was going and maybe they were going to be some nice single guys. So the night was good, it was fun, but she didn't meet anyone. A small group of them went for a kebab afterwards and in the early hours of the morning, Annabelle found herself in the peace of her apartment, alone, again, ready to jump into bed to sleep the fun of the night off. And as she took her top off, as her hand brushed against her breast, she felt something. A lump. There was a definite lump there. Did she sleep that night? I'm not sure. I think that in those moments of shift, even if rationally unaware, we have some sort of intuition, some heightening of the moment, the instinct that there is a before and an after. Her mother quietened her worries down the next day. Many breasts have lumps. Even the doctors, even the specialists doing the mammogram and taking the biopsy reassured her. She was 31 after all. It was highly unlikely that it would be anything other than just a benign little lump. But to stay on the side of caution, they decided they should just take the lump out. Annabelle was booked in for surgery, but in her rational self, she wasn't worried. She went for a nice few days in New York with some friends the weekend before. She even decided to go to her yoga class in the early morning just before surgery. There, she stretched, balanced, breathing deep and measuring the fitness of her body. And when she laid in her hospital bed, a bit groggy after surgery, she enjoyed the peace of the hospital room contemplating the fact that usually, on a Thursday morning, she would be flat out working in the office. What a nice way to have a rest. Her body, her being, had been crying out for it, and she hadn't listened. But, once again, the doors of the palace flung open, 
and the surgeon walked in. The news wasn't good. And that's the very first time she heard the word as a threat to all she was. Cancer. And just like this, Annabelle lost control on her body. It now belonged to hospital corridors, waiting rooms, her breast under the light of radiotherapy in dark rooms, her arms on armrests of the chairs of chemotherapy departments. She had eight months of treatment. On the very first day, her best friend had come with her for her first session of chemotherapy. They had walked from her flat to the hospital, through Regent Park in the sunshine of a beautiful June morning, and they had sat side by side while the drug was pumped into her arm, trusting it to do its thing. They hadn't walked back, though. Annabelle's mum had come to scoop her off by car and back into the fold of family. Indeed, it is one thing to be living alone in a lovely apartment when life is full and busy, but it's another thing when one is feeling vulnerable and sick. And soon Annabelle realized she couldn't face it. She sold a flat, moved back into her parents' home in the bedroom of her childhood. I'll always remember it as like the weirdest summer of my life because it was a really sort of double-edged sword. Like on the one hand, it was this like lovely summer that almost reminded me of childhood, you know, like those long summer holidays you had in school as a child and you didn't really do much and you like hung out in your family garden because my parents, you know, had a house and a garden, which, you know, I just had a one-bedroom flat and went to the park and I kind of really relaxed. And on the other hand, you know, every three weeks I'd go for chemo and have these needles stuck in me and lose my hair and all, all the way through, obviously, and get very sick right after the chemo. So it was just this very bittersweet summer of, you know, on the one hand, very comforting and quite easy. And on the other hand, terrifying and horrible. And it was, it was very strange. By the new year, Annabelle's treatment was over. It had worked. Doctors were happy. She was free to go and live her life. But she found herself surprisingly despondent. Well, you know, this is the funny thing. I thought as soon as I finished treatment, this is going to be so great. You know, my hair, as you say, had started growing back again. It was very short, but I was able, I remember that February, to go and get a haircut and everyone was like, wow, your hair looks really good short. And, and I had in my head this kind of narrative whereby it would be like, yep, finished treatment, done with this cancer thing. And like, take a few months off, recover, have a really nice time and like go and meet somebody again. And actually, what I learned, and I've heard a lot of people say since, is that when you finish treatment, psychologically, it's often one of the hardest times because it's almost like only once you finish the treatment do you have time to really digest the full enormity of what you've been through. I think when you're going through the treatment, you're kind of on this conveyor belt of like, okay, I've got chemo, I've got radio, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And it's almost like that ending of it is when you re it really, the kind of emotional impact of what you've been through and how different your life is now to what it was before your diagnosis really kind of strikes. So I actually found myself, um, you know, I wouldn't say I was like severely depressed in that time in those first few months um, of the year, the kind of winter, early spring of that year, but I was definitely kind of feeling at a low point. Um, so I you know, despite having big grand ideas about what I would do with that time and how I would feel and how I would go and meet someone and it, life would be amazing. 
it wasn't quite how it, it went. It took me a while to come back to myself. Um, yeah. But slowly, Annabelle rebuilt herself, redesigned her life, brick by brick, with a need and a feel for equilibrium and aesthetic, like the good little architect she was. Some of her friends had bought new homes and wanted alterations, so she slowly went back to the drawing board and freelanced. She did more and more yoga. She trained as a teacher and started teaching classes. And two and a half years after selling her flat, she bought a new apartment, moved in, leaving her parents' house behind, but keeping within her all its nurturing and loving comfort. She was back living as a vibrant and independent woman. The pace of her life had changed. The goal of her life had somehow shifted from the pursuit of success to the pursuit of happiness. And of course, she was still longing for love. The princess was still yearning to be woken up by that delicious soft kiss. Where was the Prince Charming? By then, she was mid-thirties. Most of her friends were all married. Parties were over, babies were popping up in every household. Where do you meet people? A friend of hers had mentioned online dating. So bravely, she dipped her toes into it. And over two years, she looked at thousands of faces on her screen. And she went on a few dates. Some weren't successful, some were, but none developed into serious relationships. And Annabelle grew lonely. She was so close to accepting she wouldn't share a life with anyone. But one night, in the dead of winter, she tried again. She opened up a computer and decided to be completely honest and almost trivial about who she was searching for. She listed every single mundane detail and criteria into the search engine of that particular dating website and pressed search. And those algorithms must have been potent as, ping, a profile popped up. She looked closer at the screen. She liked his face a lot. They exchanged messages for a while and then decided to meet in London, close to where he was working. He had said, just for a drink. And if they still could bear the sight of each other after that, then they would go and grab something to eat. And they must have liked what they both saw. Because after the drink, there was dinner. And four and a half years later, on a warm September afternoon, they got married in a London church. They walked from the church to the reception venue in Soho, and people in the streets of the city might have seen a joyous, colorful group, and in its center, a beaming bride, holding firmly the hand of a new husband. I remember the walk was just wonderful, like this newly married couple, really happy walking through Soho with all their friends behind them and people stopping to kind of look and say congratulations. And it was, you know, really kind of high moments walking with my gorgeous new husband. Um, it was just really joyful. And in the morning, because my husband-to-be at the time, because <laughs> we weren't yet married, we obviously spent the night before the wedding apart. And in the morning, I got up in my own flat as, you know, a single woman for the last time. And I remember 
doing a really beautiful yoga practice just alone at home by myself and and that moment was probably the moment I really sensed the kind of sweetness of this situation you know I was like here about to marry this wonderful guy who I really loved and yeah just in those moments of kind of practice time alone on my mat that was probably when I I just really felt the the magic of it. Annabelle had at last found her Prince Charming. Life was sweet, soft and promising but once again the doors of the palace flung open. Some of Annabelle's cousins were also diagnosed with breast cancer and soon it became apparent that the genetic mutation was present in the family, putting them at much greater risk of developing breast cancer. And so Annabelle had to make the decision to have a double mastectomy and full reconstruction. Not an easy decision to make when you are madly in love and wanting to feel desirable. It was a big operation, but in the weeks leading to it and during the convalescence after, she measured how soft it was to go through it with a loving partner by her side. But life still hadn't finished sending her trials. Even the baby they so desperately wished to have had them waiting, made them wondering if they were ever to know the joy of being parents had them jumping through hoops of yet more treatment, more clinic corridors and patients. Lots of patients. And when at last Annabelle's tummy rounded up, in the last few days of her pregnancy, two weeks before the arrival of their baby son, life delivered her yet another harrowing blow, and maybe the most violent of them all, by taking away someone she loved someone that was so close to her, ripping her from her side. How did Annabelle hold up at that time? How did she navigate those two weeks between the end of life and the beginning of life? Between death and birth? Only she knows. But somehow she found the strength and a way to walk the path of new motherhood alongside that of grief and loss. Alexander was born on the 21st of December, just in time for Christmas, opening his blue eyes on a world new to him, shedding his light of innocence on all around him, refreshing all, making all and everyone anew by the simple power of his arrival, a brand new life with all its promises. He is now three and a half years old, Annabelle is cancer-free, working as a yoga teacher and occasional architect. Happily married, she still lives in central London, and she often walks with her husband and son in, in Regent's Park, or Hyde Park, where I am sometimes myself. And it amuses me to think that maybe our paths have crossed already. That maybe, as I was sitting on the grass one sunny evening, I had observed a young woman pushing a pram next to a good-looking partner, both young professionals in an affluent part of London, and that I would have just watched her go past in a little lucky bubble, completely unaware of the roads she had had to travel to get there. And that brings me back to Sleeping Beauty. Remember, despite all the gifts the child had received at birth, 
She was indeed going one day to prick a finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel and die. But, as you remember, the seventh fairy hadn't made a wish yet. And of course, in the story of Sleeping Beauty, the seventh fairy alters the curse, allowing the princess to survive by going into a deep sleep that can only be broken by true love's kiss. But as I worked on Annabelle's story, thinking about the analogy of Sleeping Beauty, I wondered what seventh gift Annabelle had been given. What saved her? It came to me one morning in the train between East Anglia and London. Resilience. The gift she had been given from the seventh fairy was, indeed, resilience. But not just in the sense of her capacity to withstand and recover, her ability to spring back into shape, her elasticity, but mostly because of her letting go, her acceptance of hardship, her ability to access positive emotions through it all. Somehow we've been conditioned to believe that sadness is wrong, something to be pushed away as fast as possible. I've come to recognize the opposite is true. Sadness and grief are, at certain times, necessary places to inhabit. I'm learning, slowly, to stay with my sadness when it comes, to hold it as tenderly as I can, which can be uncomfortable, but is also beautiful because it means my heart is open. And the upside of this heartache is that it also amplifies gratitude and joy, reminding me what an incredibly precious thing this life is, a gifts, not givens. I know from experience that however dark things can be, some light will always come from that darkness. But it's important not to rush straight to the lights and bypass the darkness, but rather to dare to spend some time there too. Et voilà. I hope you have enjoyed Annabelle's story. I want to thank her a million for trusting me with it. If you want to know more about her story, she has actually written a book called Hidden Young Single Cancer. And if you want to connect with Annabelle, she is active on Instagram. And I will leave her handle and uh, details for the book in the show notes of this episode. So thank you for tuning in and listening today. If you want to make me happy, you can either rate the podcast on Spotify, actually, which is a brand new feature. It literally takes a second to press the star located in the description of the podcast. Or, of course, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts because I love discovering them. It feels like a little present. Thank you so much for those of you who have already done so. So I don't think it will be long before I come back and sit in this cupboard with another story. A story on which I have already been working quite a bit and I can't wait to voice it. So stay tuned. So have a good week or two and until we meet again in the Aaron Cupboard. Goodbye.